Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Top Shelf, where we keep the hot takes and the hard liquor. I'm Hannah Beavis, here with my co-host, Michelle J, and we have two guests on the podcast today, Ann Tukarski and Gabs Fundero, who are here to talk to us about college hockey. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Oh, I thought we lost everybody because Hannah just stopped talking and I panicked. (laughs) I paused. I paused unexpectedly. That one's on me. (laughs) My brain short-circuited for a second. Okay. Uh, How's how's everybody doing? Everybody doing good? Just fantastic. (laughs) That's great. Uh, I feel like we need to to like pull the curtain back and let everybody know that we started recording this. This is our second take. The first take we were not recording. We started the episode and realized that the we were not recording. So we're a little punch drunk, slap happy. But we're good. We're gonna get going. We didn't get that far into the um, episode though. We got like a minute and a half into talking, and I and Hannah was like, "Did you hit the button?" I think we got like 10 <laughs> seconds in. <laughs> this is not a minute and a half, unless your sense of time is different than mine. I don't know. That's what it told me on the screen. Are you sure? That seems like Maybe a it was time. a minute and a half when we like couldn't figure out how to get everybody on the same thing. I think that might be it. Yes. Anyways, let's get into the episode. Anne and Gabs are here to talk to us about the NCAA, which has been just kind of absolutely wild this season with a lot of different upsets. Um, how do we want to break this up? Um, do we want to talk about players? Do we want to talk about kind of what's happened in the first half and go from there? Um, upsets or surprises that have happened so far? Let's start there. And, yeah. who? Which te- what team has been the biggest surprise for you uh, this season so far, Anna Gaps? I would say... Um... Just from, since I focus primarily on the WCHA, I would say a team that has really surprised me so far this season is Bemidji State. I mean, they're currently sitting at fourth in the conference, but um, I mean, they did beat Wisconsin this past weekend or one of the weekends before. I think it was this past weekend. And that was just a big surprise to me just because historically they haven't been a team that's as capable of pulling off those kind of upsets. So it was just really impressive to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, for sure. I would definitely echo that um, for the WCHA. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I think there's been a nice like run of teams that we've seen kind of get some fun results this year so far. Um, I don't know if I would say that anyone has like totally shocked me as far as jumping into like title contention or anything of that nature. But um, I know Robert Morris has had a few really, really close games against some very strong teams. Um, we've seen Yale come up with some Really nice wins here um, just recently, beating Clarkson and St. Lawrence. Um, I'd say those are probably the two that come to mind right away. Um, it's really nice, I think, just personally to see Robert Morris doing so well um, and seeing the that conference in particular grow and continue to bring in strong players and continue to have strong seasons. Mm-hmm. 
has Syracuse's slow start worried you at all in the CHA as well? They had a rough kind of beginning of the season. Yeah, they definitely did not get off to as strong as a start as they would have liked, especially coming off of, I think, their CHA championship win last year. Um, I did actually write about this in my column today. Um, they had a kind of crazy, like, slow home start, which I think was, like, really surprising, especially when you think about how teams are just traditionally like better in their home rank. So I think that was definitely just kind of like, I don't know, you don't want to say like bad luck, but that like definitely seems to be kind of an outlier that that trend was always going to pick up. And <clears throat> that did actually happen this, this past weekend when um, they took down Mercyhurst by a pretty sizable score. So um wouldn't say it's like super concerning. Obviously you don't want to get off to um, too slow of a start, but they like Robert Morris also had a schedule that was just like packed with, with really good teams. They played Northeastern, they played Boston College, they played Colgate. I believe they also played Clarkson um, and Princeton. So um, for sure, they didn't get as many wins as they probably would have liked. But um, those are all teams that are like, you know, in the rankings right around that top 10 mark. So mm-hmm. yeah, Minnesota and Wisconsin, we don't have any more undefeated teams yet this season. And Wisconsin losing to Bemidji, I think, was a big surprise do you still think and that minnesota and wisconsin are still the top two teams in the WCHA? oh for sure i mean as much as i want um ohio state and bemidji to like actually contend um i think minnesota and wisconsin have a pretty sizable advantage on you know those two other teams ohio state and bemidji state um obviously minnesota and wisconsin are currently tied in goals for but Minnesota has a pretty substantial advantage in goals against. So Minnesota is currently in the number one spot. They've just overtaken um, Wisconsin for that number one spot in the WCHA and nationally, I think. I'm not 100% certain on that. But, um, yeah, I'd say they're pretty much the two dominant teams in the WCHA right now. It's a pretty surprising stat that they have the exact same number of goals for 56 and 56. Yeah. That's wild. Can my biggest surprise be someone that's doing poorly? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, I am shocked by just how poorly BC is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because they is are it, not doing well. But they lost two of their big stars. Daryl Watts is at Wisconsin. Wisconsin, Wisconsin. yeah. Wisconsin. And then they lost... Um, Katrin Lorgan. Yeah. Yes. To Clarkson. Yeah. She's at Clarkson. Yeah. So that those were going to be two significant losses for them. I guess it's just been Gabs. I was reading your column too, and you were talking about how Northeastern has kind of asserted themselves in the top spot of hockey East, kind of like a changing of the guard, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this past weekend was definitely kind of. Um, a few statement wins for them, I would say. Um, I think it's just been a long time since we've really seen BC. I don't want to say they're not competitive because I don't think that's true at all, but where it's like to the point where like you're just expecting Northeastern now to like run the table here <clears throat> and even going into this weekend, mm-hmm. expecting them to come away with two wins. Um, just a little bit of a, of a change there as far as what BC is probably expecting for themselves and what the rest of us are expecting uh, to see from them. I think um, you're definitely right, Hannah. I had I had some stats from uh, early on in this <clears throat> early on in the season. I'm trying to actually pull them up now. Um, but with those two players and some of the other players they lost to graduation, they lost just an incredible amount mm-hmm. of production. And 
Um, that's just not something that you can just replace on a whim. I know that Hannah Bilka came in and um, she's been a pretty good scorer for them. Um, they've definitely, they have some really talented freshmen. I know Lexi Gay on defense is another one, but um, it just gets to a point where um, you're not going to be able to fill in all those roles um, right away when you lose such important players. So I think that's just, it's just kind of taking a toll on them, I would say. Yeah, the depth for sure. And Michelle and Gabs and Anne, if you want to answer too, like, I feel like for me, the last few years that I've watched the NCAA, BC has, if not struggled during the regular season, which I think they have in some cases, but also struggled in the postseason. Is this something where they should, where they need a change in coaches or a change in systems? Or is this just an off year for them? I think that, like, I think the concerning thing to me is that, like, it's not – they haven't been improving as the season's gone on. They're in, like, a like a seven-game losing streak right now, which, like, even nice. with losing so many players and having to rebuild their system, like, you would think a, a program like BC with, with coaches that have been in there for so long would have made more of a difference at this point. And then we also have seen Maddie MacArthur get chased from at least two games recently um, – pretty much like since the beginning of December, I think. And I think that's the most concerning part is that, or to me at least, that something's not clicking still like this long into the season. Yeah, I think that's definitely a fair point, Michelle. Um, I don't know if I would say so much that it's it's definitely like time for a coaching change or anything like that. Um, I think that in college hockey in particular – um, you do kind of tend to go through these these cycles just with <clears throat> recruiting and graduation and um, kind of like the natural progression of things, I guess I would say. Um, and it, I mean, for as, I guess, as poorly as it seems like BC is doing, it's really like in perspective, really, um, I wouldn't say it's like the end of the world for them. You know what I mean? Like they've just been so good for so long. Um, you can kind of, I don't want to say like spoiled or anything like that, but you kind of get used to seeing them always being in like the top five of the rankings. Um, obviously now, like, I don't think they're even ranked in the top 10 at the moment. Um, Mm -mm. so it's definitely a change for them, but, um, there's still talent there. Um, just, they really do have, um, have to take advantage of, of the games coming up to try to get back on track. Have either, or have any of you watched any of the, um, any WHA games, this new conference that we've got this year with St. Anselm, Sacred Heart, Franklin Pierce, LIU, St. Michael's, and Post. Um, I watched I watched a couple of LIU's games. Um, obviously, I watched the exhibition game they had against the Riveters where the Riveters beat them like mm. 10-1, 10-2. Um, I've watched a couple of their games since, and I know they're, they're sitting pretty high up in the standings in the NEWHA right now. Like They're like first or second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, St. Anselm has 21 points with a .700 win percentage. Sacred Heart is has 18 points with a .818 win percentage. Franklin Pierce has 16 points with a .727 win percentage. So those top three are relatively close. That's in conference. Excuse me. Um... They're interesting to me, like the whole conferences and like how that's going to play out in the future more rather than like how they're doing now per se, because they're adding another Mm -hmm. team 
next year, Gabs, or the year after? I, mm, good question. I think it's for the 2021 season. I, I think it is, too, because I think that would be when – I think that's the first year that they would be eligible for an automatic bid. Yeah. That was going to be my next question, is are they going to get an automatic bid into the playoffs? But not yet. It's going to be in 2021? Um, yes, I believe the NCAA rules are – like I, I don't know if it's NCAA or like the committee rules, but um, you have to have six member institutions that are like a part of the conference, and it has to be like the same six at least for two years before you can get mm. um, that automatic bid. Gotcha, gotcha. That worries me a little bit, just because I don't, I don't know comparatively how they can stack up to the rest of the, the teams. That's a ways away, so not something that we have to talk about right now. Yeah, I mean, I just, like, personally, this is something that um, I just think there are a lot of improvements that could probably be made to the way that the women's NCAA tournament is structured um, as far as, like, these automatic bids and, like, how many teams in general get into the tournament. Um, I know that there are not really as many NCAA women's programs at the division one level anyway, that there are as far as like the men's, the men's side, or like, especially for a sport like basketball um, for both men's and women's, um, which is why I think the NCAA prefers to keep it to just eight teams in. But I just personally, this is just totally my opinion, but I think where you're getting, if you're getting to a point where you have more than half the teams automatic bids, like I kind of feel like something needs to be done at that point. Um, so then you're not punishing teams who are having like great seasons and just not winning their, their playoffs. Yeah. Or yeah, you're punishing teams that don't win their playoffs. And then like even more so punishing teams that, you know, look good in hockey East, but then, you know, they want to put Wisconsin or Minnesota or like Duluth in there instead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that, like, we'll hear more, I'm sure, more discussion about. Um, I know there was already, um, there was already, like, some news um, beyond just, like, the the potential automatic bid for the NEWHA. Um, I believe that the committee had submitted some kind of request to the NCAA to try to um, get an extra flight added. For like the quarterfinals, and I think that was denied. Um, I think Grant Salzano definitely was the one who had reported that. Um, I believe for BC interruption, I don't think that was for TIG. Michelle can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, yeah, I don't think so. Mostly just because I can't remember reading about it. Yeah. So that's something that I think. Again, this is just like totally my opinion, but like I really, really wish that the committee didn't have this mandate to make the first round of the tournament as cheap as possible. And that we could just see teams one through eight and like fly out whoever needs to be flown out. But that is not currently the world that we live in. So one day it will be. (laughs) What would, what would a perfect, in a perfect world, what would the NCAA like playoff picture look like in terms of number of teams? I think we've gotten your, your take on what the travel would look like. Um, but what do you think is a good number for the postseason? Well, I've, just from my perspective, I don't know, like Michelle and Anne, how you guys feel about it. Um, but for me, like I've kind of thought about it myself, and I think that 
just logically, it would kind of make sense to add in maybe four extra teams. I know that there's been talk of maybe just doing like one extra team and doing like a play-in game basically between the eighth and ninth seeds, um, which is definitely like definitely an option as well. Um, but for me, like if it was like just totally my decision, I didn't have to think about like you know anything else other than just what I want. I would want to add in four teams and have the top four seats kind of have like a buy through the first the first round, and um, then it would just be like four through twelve playing or five through twelve, sorry, playing each other for the the first round, and then you would have like quarterfinals and semifinals and so on. I dig that. I don't really know how logical yeah, that is, but <laughs> that is. I mean, we don't necessarily follow a lot on this <laughs> podcast. Michelle or Anne, do you guys have any any thoughts on that or anything that you would like to see from the tournament? I mean, I don't know. I I don't know if I'm a huge fan of the eighth seed and ninth seed play-in game just because I'm a person that, like, like from a perfectionist standpoint, I'm not a huge fan of, like, having an odd number of teams, even if there was a play-in game. So I think definitely adding, like, at least – four more teams can make could spice things up a little bit and make it interesting. I think four teams would be good. Like I like the idea of having the like top four having a quote unquote buy. Yeah. Everything okay with whoever that was? Yeah, that was me. Someone just closed the door of the room I'm in like really loudly. Oh. <laughs> that didn't sound like a door. I don't know what it sounded like. It sounded like something massive fell in the background and I got very worried for um yeah i like the idea of the 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 four on four or the like top four by situation um i think how you seed that by gets a little or how yeah i guess how you seed the teams to get that by gets a little hairy oh yeah do you give it to like like is it all teams that have gotten like an auto bid is it like the top four but then do you then do you run into the issue of like well we have two WCHA teams in the top four Um, yeah so I mean I think that I mean there would absolutely be debate like no matter what no matter what happens like there is now anyway right like we're always talking about who should kind of be like the last team in and and that kind of thing um but as of right now this is again just like how I understand it. I'm not like claiming to be an insider as far as like how the NCAA committee um, structures everything. But um, I think that they do like mostly just follow the pairwise rankings as far as like numerically ranking um, at least for like, uh, for like seeding the top four teams, they don't seed one through eight, they seed one through four. Yeah. Um, and then if you do get an automatic bid like Syracuse this past year, um, they would have had the lowest pairwise ranking, which is why they ended up going out to Wisconsin, which was the number one seed. Mm-hmm. Um, so even now, like I don't think the automatic bid really like guarantees you anything other than just like the actual spot in the tournament and like getting the chance to compete for it. But um, yeah, I think it'll just be interesting to see how this changes in the next couple of years. Gabs, in one of your other articles, you also mentioned about how you take pairwise into account, but also that there's something called the CRACH, I think? Yes. Correct. Um, can you, does it, is it pronounced crash? Did I just say crash? Crash? That sounds I so I always thought it was terrible. pronounced like crash. I've, 
Crash I like better than Cratch. <laughs> um, in my head, I've always just said Cratch, but I don't really. <laughs> what? Can you explain what it's that is? It's just like another, um, just another metric. I think that, um, I'm really not like a math person here, so I don't understand anything about how these things Same. actually work. But like this, so this is just going to be like total confirmation bias here and not like an actual an actual argument so i'll just say that disclaimer up front but i just have always found that like the crash rankings crash rankings are um they just tend to line up a little bit more with like who i would kind of have and like i think that their like strength of schedule in particular um kind of gets taken a little bit more into account and is a little bit more accurate as far as like what we kind of see across the country um i don't want i don't think this is like really such a huge difference now in like 2020 um it's definitely something that like going back a few years ago um there just tended to be more disparity but i mean even now like you have a year like this where minnesota and wisconsin are two of the best teams in the country and like the other wcha teams are playing them like a combined eight times like that to me is just a big difference that you don't really see in any other conference so um definitely some western bias there but that's kind of kind of why I just like lean towards it I think it just kind of lines up a little bit more with how my gut feels about some of these teams okay so Grant at Boston College Interruption has like I don't know if he's like reverse engineered Karach I feel like we've got to come up with a better way to say this (laughs) the K-R-A-C-H but basically it is a a formula that allows you to um like apparently wait this article is not telling me what i need it to (laughs) wait okay so cratch stands for ken's ratings of american college hockey Mm -hmm. i don't know just says ken a statistician named ken butler who first implemented the methodology for college hockey thank you Oh, All right. it said it like one line down. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> I actually, it doesn't tell me what it does. And like, a, like another metric, like Gaps was, was talking about, I guess. It uses a mathematical model known as the bradley tearing rating system. It's a way of determining the relative strength of one team to another. Huh. Mm. Okay. So then similar to the pairwise, but it's just a different, I guess, formula. Yeah, it, like it like compares teams relative to each other. Like I don't know what statistic necessarily it compares that's relative to the other teams. I don't know if it's like wins or like goals for, goals against. Like I honestly this is the first I've ever heard of it, so Cratch. Mm. I feel like we should just call it Ken. The Ken score. <laughs> For rack. No, I don't like that either. Who do you guys think? Frozen Four and Natty Champs. I'm keeping with Minnesota and Wisconsin as at least being two that are in the Frozen Four just because I think they're so dominant. And, like, I don't know, just in my opinion, the way their seasons have been going, there's, like, no way that they don't make it into the mm-hmm. Frozen Four. Yeah, I think it's hard to count those two out. So the problem that I'm having for myself right now is that I'm a big 
believer that BU is going to do it on home ice, like, going to get there. I'm not saying they're going to totally win it. Like, I would love to see that happen. And, like, I really think they could do it. Like, they have the pieces to do it. But then, like, which of the top four teams am I saying is not going to be there? I don't know, because they're all so good. You don't think BU will get an automatic buy? Mm Mm-mm. Oh, no. No, I mean, they could get, like, an automatic bid if they win Hockey East. But, oh, um, you're, yeah, you're... Like, as far as, like, getting to the Frozen Four, Sorry. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, okay, I understand. I misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, because I've kind of been on that wagon, like, since the preseason, that, like, I think that would be, like, a fun Dark Horse situation. That would be an incredible and I would We'd find me running circles around Aganis Arena if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, I feel like you're, like, sitting on the edge of your seat right now. Like, please, 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 please. <laughs> Gabs would be like, where'd you go? And I'd be like, just do a laughs. It's good. Just going to do a laugh. <laughs> just laughs till it's over. Uh, that's that's kind of just like my dark horse pick. And that's, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I really, I'm like a bl- big believer in Jesse Comfer. Um, mm-hmm. Their goaltending yeah. is so, so good. Like they, they, they do have the right pieces, I think, but um, it's obviously far from a sure bet that any of that will happen. So um, I think Anne's right. Minnesota, Wisconsin are are probably very safe bets to be there. And I mean, Northeastern also just looks unbelievable this year. Cornell has looked really, really, really good. Like any of those top four teams, I think it would be surprising to not see them end up there. Well, I'm looking at the ECAC standings and Cornell's definitely like one of those top teams. Harvard, Princeton, and Clarkson are all, though, like, relatively close together. Is that is Cornell, like, clearly do you think the a team that could be in the Frozen Four, or is that conference a little bit closer? Well, the ECIC, I think, is definitely, like, a very tight race, um, just in general. I mean, those the top four teams that you mentioned are, I think they've all proven to be, like, very good and definitely in league with one another this year. Um Colgate too like I know they're kind of lower in the in the standings right now but um I got the chance to see them play live in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago and like they didn't look out of place against Northeastern um which is one of the top teams in the country so um they definitely could make a run at some point um Quinnipiac I think has really rebounded to have a nice year so far um Mm -hmm. it just it tends to be that way in that conference in particular um there are really like five or six really good teams that can like, you just really don't know who's going to win those games. Give me the chaos. of <laughs> Frozen four being BU Northeastern, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Holy shit. That would be good. It's oh, full man. chaos. But you have to have the rivalry games for the, the semifinals. You have to have the Northeastern versus BU and Wisconsin versus Minnesota. I would agree, except, and I don't know if like the committee does this. I feel like they would set up BU Northeastern for the finals. Yeah, but then they both have to win. Well, duh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, yeah, but like give, give them the guaranteed BU Northeastern matchup. I guess. And then I guess that makes sense too. You'll still you'll still be able to pack the rink no matter which one of them makes it to the finals. 
It's a big year for me. At anyone on the committee who makes these decisions, <laughs> let us make them for you. Um, any predictions on who's going to win it all? I know it's early, but like, I love a good prediction. Honestly, I know this is me being a homer for like the WCHA, but like, I think Minnesota could win it all this year. Hmm. What makes you think that they have the edge over Wisconsin? I just feel like, I mean, they beat Wisconsin. I think, let me check. I don't know if they beat Wisconsin twice um, or just the once, but. They, they beat them once so far. And then they um, also beat them in the shootout. Yeah. So basically, basically a tie and a win. Yeah. So like I, I don't know. Like I know that's a very small sample size, but I feel like just given the loss of a couple of good seniors on Wisconsin's roster and given the fact that Minnesota has a lot of up-and-coming players, I think that Minnesota could do it this year. I mean, obviously they have a history of being incredibly strong in the playoffs, but – I think this year could be their year. Once, one more time. Gabs, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um. Well, I already said that BU is my dark horse, but not gonna keep mm. pushing that. Um, you can keep pushing it. It's fine. Just I'm keep feeling, telling me they're gonna win. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I was like, that's my vote. Right now, today who I'm feeling very good about, I think is Northeastern. I think that mm-hmm. Elena Mueller is just mm-hmm. on another level. Like there's a lot of very good players in this country who I, sorry, not just this country, but in the NCAA, let's clarify that specifically. Um, and they're like, I love watching them and like, she's just, she's just unreal. Um, Skylar Fontaine on defense is another unreal player that I think, gets a lot of credit, but at the same time, like, really doesn't get as much credit as she should get. Um, and then Frankel and Goal, like, they're another another team, like, they just have all of the right pieces. Um, their top line can can hold the puck and, like, keep it in the, the offensive zone against the best of them. Um, they can transition super well. They play with speed. Like, there's just so much I like about their game. Um, and they've they have a lot of experience, I think, from last year. I know that they kind of went out in the quarterfinals last year, but I think having that experience like with this core group is going to be going to be really important for them this year coming up. I could definitely see them sure. Northeastern winning it all. I think like Gab said, they just have all the right pieces at exactly the right time. Um, you know, like she said, Alina and um, the other, the French player whose name just completely slipped my mind. Chloe Arard, yeah, she's she's another one. Like she's just, they're just very good together. Um, I think they've really come into each other like as sophomores now, with a full season under their belts together, and just they're like lights out. Mm-hmm. For sure. And yeah, Erin Frankel looked incredible. She's the like, what did you say in, in the takeaway gabs? She was what the first goaltender to. Um, shut out BC in back-to-back games. Yeah, and I think she's also the f- first goaltender, or maybe they were the first team to shut out BC for the whole season. I can't remember. Or for three games for the whole season, I guess. Um, like in hockey's play. Um, yeah, just just unreal. So I think they could do it, and especially, I mean, I know it's at BU, but like you're still in Boston. It's still basically a home tournament for them. I yeah. can see them bring some of that with them too. 
I want to say Northeastern for my pick, but I'm really, maybe it's the Illinois in me. I'm having a hard time not seeing Minnesota or Wisconsin at least making it to the finals. I think I'm probably going to go with Ann here and give Minnesota the edge, but I really, if you had to ask me to pick between Minnesota and Northeastern right now, I don't know that I could do it. Bless Thank you. Me. Bless you. Thanks. <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about team-wise before we go over to did, did Michelle Ed make a pick? The players? Northeastern. Northeastern. Okay. Cool. Over BU. I just think Northeastern has more of the 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 right pieces right now, mm. and they more of the right pieces that might have been tested in bigger games than BU has right now. It's I've like I keep forgetting that Erin Frankel is still in college because like seeing her play on Team USA, I'm just like she's post collegiate, and the fact that she's still here is like wild, and that's a huge boost for Northeastern. On top of all the other players that they already have, who are also very good. Um. Okay, let's go over to players. Let's look at the Patty Cas watch. Yes, before we jump to that, who are are there any players who have surprised you so far this season? Um, I have two. Um, they're both All from right. WCHA because obviously that's my area of expertise right now. I guess. Um, from Ohio State, just because I've gotten the chance to see her play in person. Um, Liz Shepherds, like she's been very good just in general like, over the course of her career, but especially this year. She's currently sitting at 17 goals, which is the team lead for goals, and 14 assists for 31 points. Um, she's behind Emma Malte, who obviously I could talk forever about, but they're on a line together, and when they get on the ice together, it's honestly, like, this is going to sound so cheesy, but it's, like, magical. Like, just seeing them play together is ridiculous. So, obviously, like, I don't think... I don't think they're like Patty Kaz level, but just seeing them play together is really incredible. It's something else. Liz is a junior and Emma Malte is also a junior. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. They're in the top 10 in scoring. So definitely two to watch. Um, Gabs, is there anyone who's impressed you so far? Um, I guess in terms of like, breakout players um I can't actually remember if I had Emily Curlett from Robert Morris on my list last year of breakout players but I kind of feel like she deserves another shout out even if I did give her one last year just because um she really has just just been so impressive I think in all areas of the game for Robert Morris um I think she she's just so important to everything they're trying to do like on special teams um at even strength um there was one point, I actually think she is still, yeah, she, she leads the country in power play goals, which is, like, kind of incredible for a D. Wow. Um, she just has a freaking bomb from the point. I hope I can say freaking on this podcast. Um, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Okay. can say freaking on this podcast. <laughs> just, <laughs> um, she also <laughs> leads the country in blocked shots. So, like, she really is just kind of does everything at, at both ends for them. Um I think she's really, really shown herself to be like a very strong number one 
number one defender. Um, I saw, saw, sorry to interrupt you really quick, but like looking at the the leaderboards, she's the only defender in the top twenty of points, which is wild to me. She's got twenty seven mm-hmm. points so far, averaging over a point per game. Yeah, she. So definitely, she's very good, and I think like she was kind of impressing me like even earlier on in the year. Um, I know I kind of talked about Robert Morris um, and kind of the start they had like results wise. Um, I think it would have been nice for them to just as a program, I know they probably would have liked to win a few more of those, those games, but they were playing some really good teams and like, just this is like from the get go, she was like putting up points and just being a total workhorse for them. So um, this isn't just like against, this isn't just like a recent stretch or anything. Like she's really been doing this the whole season against some of the best teams in the country. Anyone else you think has impressed or has underperformed? One person I want to like shout out, or I guess someone who's impressed me is Clara Himurova of St. Cloud State. And she also plays in the Czech national team. She currently leads all freshmen in the WCHA in scoring. Um, I don't know. I think that's pretty impressive. I mean, obviously, there's yeah. going to be someone who leads the WCHA in freshman scoring, like rookie scoring. But I don't know. I was just like, she was one of my players to watch coming into this season. But also just in general, seeing her play has been pretty impressive. I feel like it's always interesting to watch these, like to see the like non North American players come in and make such a big impact because we so rarely get to see that or see like how everybody mm-hmm. stacks up and lessons in the NCAA. I mean, I'm just looking at like, we've talked about Alina Mueller already. Um, Newton is on this list. Um, Chloe Arard, like this is an opportunity to see a lot of non-North American players like actually see them if you're from North America, if you're able to watch games. So, and it's different. It's interesting to see how they stack up against current and future like national team players and just other college teams because the NCAA is pretty, I think a pretty close league in general. Who do you guys think is our leaders for Patty Kaz? Honestly, I'd be really surprised to see anyone from the WCHA or the CHA win it. Like, I'm just saying that straight off the bat. Like, obviously, both conferences have extremely good players. Um, Just, I'd be surprised right now to see, not not in terms of, like, finalists. I'd just be surprised to see someone win it. Like, take the the award home. Why do you say that? I just think that... Not necessarily in terms of competition, just because obviously the WCHA is still incredibly competitive. It's just been a pretty long time since someone from the WCHA actually won it. And I'd say not necessarily that, like I said before, like not necessarily that the league is less competitive. I just think it's more likely that, you know, there's, there'll be a Hockey East or an ECAC player that takes the award home. Something I think that is tricky with both Wisconsin and Minnesota, who are those two top teams in the WCHA, is that so often they're very deep. So it's not just that they have one talented player on their team, it's that they have many. And so 
it's difficult, I wonder, to maybe point at one of the one person specifically and say, yes, this is the best player in all of the league when you are playing alongside players of equal or almost equal um, talent. Although Daryl Lotz is in Wisconsin now and is leading the league in scoring by a solid mm-hmm. 10 points. Yeah. And she's won the Patty Caz already. Yeah, that was kind of going to be my my I guess thought to chew on is um is she gonna win it for a second time um which I think would be a pretty remarkable story um but as Hannah said she's kind of I want to say she's like totally running away with um the national scoring race here but she's been in the lead for pretty much the entire season um so it'll just be very interesting to kind of keep tabs on that Again, though, the next two players right behind her, Sophie Shirley and Abby Rock, are also both on Wisconsin. So I guess that kind of you see those. I guess that kind of begs the question of: Do you consider um, the Patty Kazmaier going to the top independent player or the top team player? Like, is it someone who can perform effectively as a team member and on their own, or is it just someone who can put up points by themselves without, you know? like inflating the scores of their teammates. And that is like my favorite <laughs> question. <laughs> like, because the Patty Kaz is so like most valuable player can mean a lot of yeah. different things, depending on what you're, what you're like, is it the most valuable player overall? Is it the most valuable player to her team? Is it the most valuable player? Like how, do, how do we compare the conferences? There's a lot of like subjectivity to it. Yeah, for sure. They don't, they don't, they don't really have any answers. They're just kind of like. Um, JC Gibbard, I don't know if I'm saying her last name correctly. She's a, a senior at RMU and she's, she's up here and she's been, I think, in a top 10 consideration before, has been in the USA pipeline as a potential. I think I would be surprised if she wins, but I think she should be in the conversation. I agree with that. I mean, a player from the CHA hasn't won the Patty Kazmaier since um, 2010 when Vicky Bendis, Bendis um, won the, the Patty Kaz itself. And there, were, there hasn't been a nominee from the CHA since Megan Augusta in 2011. Um, wasn't, wasn't Brittany Howard a top three or a top ten? Maybe not a finalist. I don't think she was a finalist. She wasn't in the top three. Okay. Yeah, she was in the top ten. Yeah, but I think that that in itself goes to show like Brittany was just running the CHA that season, and so even though JC's like in the top five in the nation in scoring, is that going to be enough in a conference like the CHA comparatively to like the WCHA, the ECAC, Hockey East? I don't know. If you had to pick today, who do you think walks away with Patty Kaz? For me, it's Daryl Watts. I think she'd do it again. I could go with Daryl. <sighs> yeah, I kind I would think I would lead in the same way. I think that, um, like Hannah, like you were saying, um, she definitely does have a very talented, um, just like her line mates in general, like the team around her is is very good but um, I think she's really found a way to separate herself Um, even playing like you know I feel like it can kind of go either way like I'm not saying these are necessarily equal but um, it can also just be I think just as difficult to stand out when you're 
on a team that's so talented and you kind of have to share mm-hmm. share some minutes and share some like important I don't know like power play time and like things like that um and so she's really she's really found a way to like still stand out so I would I would definitely say she's a front yeah. runner right now you know what I realized we just haven't talked about we didn't talk about goalies at all could a goalie be in the conversation I could see Erin Frankel being in the conversation. Oh, for sure. I think mm-hmm. she's the only goalie I could see being in the conversation at the moment. Kristen Campbell? Uh, I mean... Sydney Scobie? I mean, Sydney Scobie, maybe. But Kristen Campbell, like, yes, she's been good. And yes, she has. She does have the disadvantage of having played every single conference game for her team. But she also has... well. I don't know. I mean, relative to the rest of the WCHA, she has a pretty solid goals against average. But, like, just, I don't know. Maybe this is me just trying to, like, rescind my bias. But, like... <laughs> I mean, the WCHA is the league that you know best. Yeah. Like The league, the conference. Also, if we're talking about Aaron Frankel, uh, Lindsey Browning has an identical save percentage right now. With a point nine five eight save percentage for Cornell. Yeah, I think she's been she's been huge for them. I believe they are leading the country in um, like goals against per game, and that's obviously like largely due to to her play and like just being able to rely on her. Cornell doesn't really tend to give up like a ton of shots, but like she's she's a very good goalie no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's just tough for a goalie to win, honestly. Yeah. Like, you have to have, like, basically a microscopic goals against average to even, like, get into consideration, which, like, we could debate all day, like, if that's fair or not. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I would definitely put Browning in that conversation. I think it'll be interesting just with Daryl Watts moving, having such a fantastic freshman season winning and then having such a not great sophomore season to then yeah. turn around her junior year at a new school and look like her freshman year self, more or less. I think there will be some conversation around that. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be one of the most intriguing things about about the Patty Caz race this year. Yeah, and like seeing Daryl, like the difference between her freshman and her sophomore year for me, I was very, I was very surprised because she won the Patty Caz so handily her freshman season and so to see her kind of disappear was very shocking but it's nice to see her back like you said Michelle in her like freshman form has any player won the Patty Kaz three times no only one person's ever won it twice Megan Augusta Jen Botterill Jen Botterill no Megan Augusta is the one that was a finalist like three different four different times oh four times (laughs) Ooh. I was like, she's in my she's in my brain for something, but not. Yeah, Megan Augusta was a finalist four times and never won it. Ugh. Brutal. That's just brutal. Seven, eight, nine, eleven. She lost to Julie Chu, Sarah Valencourt, Jesse Vetter, and Megan Duggan. In case you were Jesse Vetter. Was she was Vetter the last goalie to win? No, no Anne Renee won yeah. it at seventeen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the yeah, list yeah. up. I don't have this memorized. <laughs> Not that weird. We wouldn't have known. We could have just been like, yeah, Michelle's got a photograph of memory. 
We've looked at the Patty Cass page enough times to probably have it memorized. Um, do you think, and this is, I mean, this is a prediction into next year. If Daryl wins this year, could she three-peat? Could she be the first player to three-peat? Hmm. That's a very good question. I think, I think she's got the skill to. I'm trying to think if there's anybody who's coming up behind her who could challenge her for it. Maybe Alina. Oh, yeah. And, like, Shigera Clarkson will still be around. I mean, she they're both yeah. definitely in the conversation this year. Um, How is Jagir? The fact, I can't, I, can't, I feel like Jagir has just been so good for so long, I forget she's not here. <laughs> I think, I think, I think yeah. she's very close to Clarkson's, um, like, all-time leading scoring mark, which is, like, yeah, she just because she's played a thousand games. Kind of crazy, considering she's a junior. I should double check uh, that before I say that, like, on this podcast. <laughs> I I think Daryl would have to do something really, really special next year to win to three P because they're not gonna give the three I don't think they'll give the first three to just anybody. You know what I mean? No, but I don't think she's averaging over two points a game. Two and a quarter points a game right now. So I don't know how like I don't know if do you think they have to hold her to a higher standard? Because I don't know that that's fair. If it's like, oh, well, you've won this twice already, so now you have to impress us even more. It's like, well, are you still the best player in the NCAA? Yeah. I don't know. I think for them to give it to the same player three out of her four years would have to mean she is something, like, super, super special. Mm -hmm. And I just I think that's a big ask and a big precedent to set. Yeah, it is for sure. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely see that. Um, I just think like the numbers that she's currently putting up, and like not only just the numbers, but when you actually like watch her play and like you know you can see her skill set, you can see how good she is, like you can see how big of a difference she makes. Um, mm-hmm. It's just I feel like that would be I like I'm with Hannah like I think if she has like another two 80 point seasons like that's very hard to ignore you know and it obviously depends on what else is happening around her but um I would say like it's definitely a possibility it's like she if anyone can do it like she's definitely a player who would um who would have that caliber in a fascinating like just looking at past Patty Kaz Daryl Watts is like the first player in a really, really long time to not play for her national senior squad. Yeah, which is very surprising to me. At Hockey Canada, what are you doing? <laughs> that was just an aside. I'm just going to sip my water. I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> and as someone who like is from the United States, Daryl Watts being on Team Canada terrifies me. <laughs> So I'm not mad that she's not on it, but also, like, look at her stats and look at what Team Canada has done the last several years. Oh, there's just so many, so many of those, Hannah, we could sit here for another hour. <laughs> Let's get another drink and then just continue this conversation until, like, midnight. Uh. <laughs> 
I have nothing against them and, you know, the way that they run things, but I, it just leaves me scratching my head, too. You're definitely not alone in, in wondering that. Cool. You want to wrap us up, Hannah? Unless you yeah, guys, cool. Anne or Gabs, had anything else you would wanted to add, talk about, say, make us ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything. <laughs> anything else? No, I don't. I don't yeah. think so. I mean, now that we're like, of course, now that we're ending, I'm thinking there's like a million players that I could still. I don't know if you guys want to like continue that conversation as far as like players who have surprised this year. Yeah. Or not, yeah, and like sure. how you you know if you want to edit this back in or what. But um, a couple of others that come to mind now that I've had some time to think about it. Gabby Hughes out of Minnesota Duluth, I think, is just just incredible and it's so fun to watch her play um she's played a few less games i think than most of the people who are above her like in the like scoring rankings um but she's scoring at like almost a point and a half per game um she just wow she just came off winning like the most outstanding player at the minnesota cup um i feel like she just scores highlight reels highlight reel goals like at will basically um I don't know. She's she's a very fun player to watch, and I actually am trying to wrap up a future story on her as well. Um, and someone else that I kind of wanted to just touch on is Sharon Frankel at, at Princeton. Um, she's kind of been one of my personal favorites to watch for a while. She's a junior now, and when she came in as a freshman, um, she kind of got slotted in right away. It's like a first-line player for them. And the last couple of years, they've had like a lot more depth, I would say, especially with like Sarah Fillier and Maggie Connors coming in. Um, but she's just been like, she, I think she's a point per game player right now this year for them. I'm pretty sure she's playing on their like top power play or at least getting like a good amount of power play time. Um, I feel like she's just scored some, some pretty big goals for them and they're like right in the heat of the ECAC race. So, um, so there's just two more players that I would definitely mention as, as having like standout kind of um, breakout years, I guess. And Gab, thank you again for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Um, can you tell us where we can find you on Twitter? And if you want to start. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Ann Tokarski. That's A-N-N-E-T-O-K-A-R-S-K-I. For those of you who don't know how to spell that. Um, yeah. Cool. And you can find me at GabFun. That's G-A-B-F-U-N. And thanks so much for having me on, guys. Thanks for coming on, guys. Michelle, where can we find you on Twitter? At Michelle underscore J-A-Y-3. Where can we find you on Twitter, Hannah? You can find me on Twitter at Hannah underscore Beavis1, B-E-V-I-S. If you have any mailbag questions that you want us to answer, tweet them at Michelle and I using the hashtag TopShelfMailbag. Um, also, if you subscribe to this podcast, you might have noticed that we have started a new podcast called Beyond the Boards. Uh, it's an interview podcast where Michelle and I alternate weeks interviewing somebody in women's hockey about their uh, expeditions is the word that's coming to mind, but that's not quite it. Like, like their their life, much to with life, beyond the, the playing rink. Um, so talking about players about coaching jobs that they have and all sorts of variety of fun things that's good Um, we have two episodes that was good thank you (laughs) i tried to recover um 
Yeah, you can find that in the same podcast stream that you find Top Shelf. Um, they're very short, usually around 15 minutes each. And um, the first two that we've had were Alyssa Gallardi and Brianna Deckard. And both of them were very good interviews. Um, but thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.